Welcome back, listeners. On this episode, I spoke with costume designer Jen Rogan about her work on Russian Doll. During our chat, we reminisced about Orange is the New Black, the challenges of jumping different time periods on the new season, and designing for Natasha Lyonne, Annie Murphy, and Chloe Sevigny's characters. I did want to go back just a little bit um, because whenever I do have the opportunity to um, thank any individual that worked on Orange is the New Black, I have to do so. Um, That was such an important show to me um, when I was going through college because I didn't, there wasn't a lot of like queer representation at the time. Um, And I really salute Netflix and I mean, Genji and all of those people for really spearheading that um, because it was a it was a an escape for even though it, obviously that was so many difficult issues and there was comedy throughout um, it really was just a, a nice safe space um, to go to and sort of just I don't know get get into a box and sort of live in these lives just for a little bit and um, so I just I have to applaud you, thank you for the fantastic work that you guys did on, on that that show. That's so kind, thank you. I love hearing that because obviously from a costume perspective, it was a lot of uniforms, but the, the show was compelling to work on for those same reasons. And it makes me happy that it's still resonating. That's that's a huge vote of confidence from, from fans all over the place. Yeah, no, I mean, well, I mean, you have Natasha moving on to Russian Dolls. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it obviously has, I mean, it's spawned the careers of so many, it's continuing the careers of so many. Um, and I mean, it's obviously one of Netflix's sort of flag, flagships to, to sort of pin their, pin the, pin the feather in the cap. So no, um, it's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. it's just too special. Um, but I do want to first, well, <laughs> now moving into Russian Doll, I want to understand how you first heard about the project um, because it's been a few years now since the first season came out. So can you sort of tell me about how you became involved in this? Uh, or- Orange, actually. I met Natasha on Orange. Gosh, it's been, it's been a decade already since that show started yeah. its first season. Um, and I'm actually working with Taylor now. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, oh, wow. it's kind of amazing. Get to work with people for 10 years in an industry that's known for, you know, constant change and we're all freelance and you don't always get to come back together with the groups of people that you loved. And so it was kind of amazing to make so many connections at Orange. And uh, Taylor was one, Natasha was one. Um, she was developing Russian Doll actually while we were shooting the later seasons of Orange and she had mentioned it to me and, and basically said, I want you to, I want you to, to pitch for this. I want you to come on board. Um, and so we started talking about it while they were still in the writer's room, while they were still, you know, getting the scripts for season one finalized. And, um, you know, she would text me randomly things as we were getting closer to prep. And then, uh, I got hired for season one and came on board. And that's where I also met Leslie and I've gone on to work with Leslie on other pilots and other projects. So it's, it's been this sort of amazing actual network of humans that are really creatively compelling that have come out of shows like uh, either Girls or, or Orange is the New Black and that keep sort of circling back in my life in a very cool, interesting way. So I walked into season one of Russian Doll with a little bit of a foundation of at least concept, which is 
more than what I usually walk in the door of a show with. Usually I go through the interview process. And so I walk in the door knowing what I pitched, but not necessarily knowing if that matches the tone of the show, what the actual concept for the series level show is. And with Russian Doll, I feel like, like I had a better, I had better insight into the, the world or the little snow globe as we like to call Russian Doll. I had a little better idea going in, though the logic of that show is mind bending. Oh. And so having that basis to start from was, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it, invaluable is not even the right word because having a basic understanding of what the show was about is half the battle. Even watching it, I go back and think, man, I'm so glad I know what actually is going on <laughs> because the logic of the story is so intricate and so complex that you have to start there. It's like, I don't start with the clothes. I start with what, what loop is this? How does she die this time? And then we'd back into, okay, now we need a look for Natasha for as Nadia um, that helps ground all of the logic so that it doesn't feel like a topsy-turvy surrealist cartoon. Mm-hmm. It still wanted to feel like a real world and part of grounding the show was in the clothes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, can you walk me through because and I was reading um, an article that you had done with Women uh, Wears Daily um, where mm-hmm. you there was the idea of using the obviously, and you have said in that interview, the iconic black sort of coat, um, possibly for season two, but then you guys obviously reversed decision and gave her a new coat. Um, Can you tell me or walk me through sort of the decision to make it this like this black, um, I mean, it's absolutely stunning to go with Natasha's beautiful hair. I mean, what was the decision around one, making it black in season two and then continuing said trend into, um, or in season one and then continuing said trend into season two? Yeah, and actually that question's very insightful into sort of the process of costume design. All of those little tiny decisions that add up to telling that story and my part of the world is through the clothes. And so with Nadia, between season one and season two, the character hasn't gone through any crazy evolution or uh, maybe hasn't grown so much. She did learn a little bit from season one. You know, they went through that whole, uh, they being Nadia and Alan went through the whole exploration of why is this happening? Is this because I'm a good person or a bad person? Is this because I did something good or bad in a moment? Is this because I made a decision that then had a ripple effect? And they come to their various decision-making processes through going through all of those loops. And the thing that we wanted to find for Nadia season one was the idea of her uniform as a New Yorker who lives in her own microcosm of the East Village for the most part. And, and, is a, and she walks, she's, she doesn't take the taxi season one. Really, she gets hit by a taxi, but she doesn't really take taxis. We, she doesn't own a car. You know, she's a real sort of diehard walking around the streets of the New York on this sort of detective mystery storyline that's also about logic and morality and uh, all of these other heavy issues. What does that look like for clothes? And it was really about a, a streamlined silhouette that had some layers that helped us both keep it interesting visually, but also help with passage of time. 
so that you know that something's going on when she's taking the coat off or she can be at home in just her blazer or just her blouse and it still reads as the same look because the color palette's really tight. So there were a number of factors for season one that we then wanted to bring forward into season two. The Nadia color palette, black, white, gray, red, that's what it is. Um, the idea of a, of a tailored coat to give her that strong silhouette, that strong shoulder and then tailored waist and longer lines because we do see a lot of silhouettes of her. There's a lot of the show that happens outside at night. So how do you know it's Nadia when you can't see the color of the clothes? How do you know it's Nadia by that silhouette? That's what, that's what the answer is, her hair and then the shape of the jackets. Um, and we wanted her to just have a vibe of being a real New Yorker. So those layers are helpful for you know moderating all the things that you go through in your day as a New Yorker and she doesn't carry a purse because she's not a fussy character she's got pockets in every layer um, so everything goes in her pockets her money her phone her keys her her cigarette lighter which is a prop is actually on a leash on a retractable elastic on her waistband so she travels very light and those are all signatures that we wanted to maintain going into season two because it's still Nadia um, and we looked at that gray coat from season one long and hard because it has all of those, all of that iconography, the strong shoulder, the tailored line. It's got the frayed edges around the cuffs that sort of nod to Nadia, maybe not being as together as she first looks, um, that things are maybe unraveling a little bit. And after a lot of discussion with Natasha and a couple of our writers, it we sort of came to the conclusion that it's absolutely comfortable because it's absolutely Nadia. We recognize that as Nadia right away because that's what we saw for all of season one. And that for season two, that coat might carry too much information with it already, that it didn't give us a, a blank slate to start from that it might be confusing. Is this season picking up right where last season left off? No, it's not. There's actually been a passage of time um, and that it might lead the audience a direction that we weren't intending by reusing that coat. So that's ultimately why we decided to go with a different direction uh, in terms of the specific piece but it had everything to do with all those character signatures. And then I know that we shoot the show a lot in the dark or in lower light or in situations that mean that we need a little bit of detail on a black coat so that we wouldn't lose everything. So you see there's there's gold buttons here, there's gold buttons on each cuff, there's gold buttons center, but, uh, center back on a, on a self belt, there's gold buttons all the way down the front. So that even when it's a black coat outside at night, you can still see these little details and you know what the piece is. You know what she's wearing still, even if it's a, if it's a dark coat where you can lose a lot of detail in low light. Mm -hmm. So sorry, long, long answer longer. <laughs> no, 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 that's perfect. I, because it, it is very interesting because I mean, when I think of Natasha, just in general, like as a person, I go directly to that look. And so it's then very, it's, it's, it's interesting because you like, it is so iconic to then change it to yeah. something else. So I thought that pro or having that sort of like, what are we going to do sort of decision is so interesting um, when it comes to, do we change it? Do we keep it? So no, I, I found that um, to be a fascinating little uh, nugget. It's funny that the look, the Nadia look is the look you think of for Natasha. Cause they're actually, yes, there's a lot of similarities, um, but Natasha's way more adventurous in her life, in her fashion. It's so great. Oh yeah. No, I, it, I know it, I, she's on all of sort of the, the fashion shows where she's sort of seen on the front <laughs> line. And I mean, she's, I mean, she's stunning. She's a stunning woman. So, I mean, it, I, I, yeah, I don't know why I pick up on, on that one 
But I mean, it's great. It means that there's a, the, the look is strong and it's, it's conveying the information that we needed to convey. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, what were some of the other challenges that you had to go into season two, excuse me, um, knowing, not knowing, um, and take that as you will. <laughs> um, the show's a really, uh, it's a tough show to shoot. There were five time periods in play and on any given day, there might be one time period or there might be three to four time periods. So that in and of itself is just logistically challenging and creatively challenging because you need clothes for all of those time periods. Um, Nadia is the constant. She stays contemporary in all of the surroundings, but then her surroundings are constantly changing. So it just means the volume of the show is so much higher this season um, because Nadia starts in 2022, gets off the train as in 1982. So all of a sudden you have both of those atmospheres around her in the same shooting day. So you're dressing people in 2022, contemporary uniforms, contemporary cars, contemporary background artists. And then you go immediately back into 1982 where you're doing specialty stuff and you've got, you know, all these prefit costumes that you're putting onto extras while they're also sitting and holding with today's extra. It's kind of, you know, it's just a little bit of a mind bend. And then it's the same thing for our guest stars. You've got people who are in 1980s clothing head to toe. You've got people who are in 1960s clothing head to toe and then principal characters who are in modern clothes moving between those groups of people. So it, it, there's just a lot to keep track of when you start layering on those additional time periods, uh, which was great. I mean, we shot in some really amazing places in New York. We shot Astor Place subway station and we shot present day, we shot 1982, we threw in a, why not, 1980, or an 1800s carnival barker, just to keep it interesting. So we had these additional layers of, in the logic of the show, as time starts degrading, we're popping in these additional characters that are from completely random time periods that we're sourcing and fitting and, and pulling for as well. So the, the time period element of the show this season was a really interesting additional layer in addition to the logic of the time travel. Mm -hmm. And was there a particular time period that you enjoyed more than the other? I know reading um, <laughs> for this, you had some issues in terms of like the costumes holding up in their sort of like from the 80s or the 60s or whatever, like holding up to actually be wearable. So yeah, <laughs> um, everyone is shocked when I say that, you know, the early 80s is 40 years ago. None of us want to admit that we're that old or that maybe we saw that the first time. Uh, so that was that was a fun mind bend. Um, and we got mostly lucky that the 80s stuff held up for us. Um, we didn't have any fabrics that were dry rotting out or shoes that were exploding or literally disintegrating into pieces on set. Um, we got lucky with the 60s bless polyester. It somehow doesn't <laughs> degrade over time, which I think might be a terrible thing for our environment, but worked okay for me in this moment. Um, so the 60s we did okay with. The 40s stuff was a little bit challenging. We had some pieces that were a little rough. A lot of that we also did in Budapest. So it was sort of a, a, a mixed bag of some of it was here, some of it was there, some of it was in pretty good condition, some of it was in rougher condition. That one gets tricky because that's, you know, 80, 80-ish years ago. Um, and those fabrics can be a little bit shot. So we did use some reproductions. We remade some things based on 40s patterns in-house because we knew they'd be working in, in multiple places. Um, uh, favorite time period? I, I don't know. They're, they're all kind of great for different reasons. It's, you know, it's different research. It's different 
silhouettes. It's different foundations. Um, we had a wide variety of bras floating around the shop so we could make sure we got the right silhouette for 40s, 60s, 80s, 2022. Um, and learning about the, the shape of the figure in those time periods is interesting because every year we decide some other body part is erogenous or exciting, or we want to bear it. You know, this year it's midriffs. It was not midriffs in 1962. Like it was ankle, you know, whatever it was. So that, that kind of stuff is really interesting. Um, it was fun to do some hats. I haven't done a show with hats in a minute. So the 1940s were fun to sort of think about that head to toe thing. You know, now we do baseball caps and beanies as sort of afterthoughts or they're our favorites or they're practical and you rewind and a hat was part of your look and was required for social reasons or uh, aesthetic reasons or all of the above. And so that was, it was fun to dip a toe in that and, and remind myself that, you know, hats are kind of fun to play with as long as they're not falling apart on you. Yeah. Nope. That, yeah. If it fall, <laughs> I can, all, Oh God, I can all, <laughs> that would be a disaster. If this just hat just started dis disintegrating on my head during this interview, that would be yep. Yep. very interesting. Um, but I got into hat placement too. There's a great behind the scenes picture of me, Marcel, our head department of hair, LV, his second, and a couple of our Budapest onset team members. We're all dealing with one hat. It's one hat and we're all trying to get it placed right. Cause it was, I think it had a fur bit on it, which obviously, you know, I don't use it. I don't use fur in contemporary anymore. This was all vintage fur. Um, and the hat just wouldn't stay put. And so it was a, it was a whole collaboration to get the hat pinned in place, which you don't really think about when you're doing modern day clothing. Cause it, it's not the same level of integration into the costume. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know, just sticking on the theme of women, um, dressing Annie and dressing Chloe, can you sort of talk, talk me through those, those two characters and how, how you sort of shape their being? Well, uh, Annie was amazing because I had a lot of information about Ruth going into it. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that I love about both Annie and Chloe is that they are consummate actors. When they get in the fitting room, it's all about what's going to work for the character, what's going to work for the emotion of the scene, what's going to work for this sequence in terms of how I think I'm going to move, how I think the set's going to work with me, things like that. Like they're really, they're very smart and they think about how the clothes are part of their character and part of their performance. And there's nothing more gratifying for me than collaborating with actors who do that because um, it helps make my job both harder and easier. Harder in that I need to be on my A game. I got to be on my toes and I really need to have thought through why everything is on the rack and why I'm putting these things together for this look. Because for me, it's the same thing. It all goes back to character. You know, uh, Annie as young Ruth was sort of just coming out of grad school and getting her practice up and going. And so we wanted to really include that in her character story even if it didn't mean anything specific to clothes, it had to do with where she was in her life. She's trying to be a professional, so she's dressed a little bit professionally. It's the 80s. So if you were trying to be a professional woman in the 80s, you were wearing a skirt and low heels, even if you were in some random subway tunnel, like it's still a skirt and heels um, because of the reality of the time period. And we were shooting winter, so we wanted to incorporate coats. And then one of the signatures we've done with with Ruth, with Elizabeth Ashley, the legend, the dream, yes. um, it plays this through line of larger statement pieces of jewelry. And so I wanted to carry that back in time. And so Annie and I talked about that as well as how that's something that can tie young Ruth and present day Ruth together 
because that's something that she might have always carried is this sort of love of jewelry. Um, so that was really fun to do that fitting. And Annie has, has actually quite a few changes in the season. And so there were there were a variety of looks that we could play with. And then with, with Chloe, it was sort of similar because we had actually seen Nora before. We'd seen her in season one. So we had a level to work from. And uh, we also knew that in season one, Nora was later in her journey. Her mental illness was, was in a different place than it was when she was pregnant with Nora. And um, we also knew that the Krugerrand is something that wanted to carry back and forth between um, Nora in, in her life and especially back further in time. And it was great to see Nora younger and, and um, in sort of her element in the Lower East Side. And so, we, and with, with uh, Nora, it was also about color and how do we keep her color palette consistent with the eighties and maybe move a little bit away from her color palette in season one which was a little bit more blues and greens as part of the rule breaking of the season one color palette. Now we had sort of uh, moved into the eighties as its own color palette for season two. It was a desaturated version of our color palette for, for present day. So how do we make Nora work within those colors as well? And then make sure that Chloe had footwear that she could work in because she's going all over the place and she's on, she's laying flat on a subway platform. So we needed to have multiples of her clothes as well. So one of the dresses we made to make sure that it would be available in multiples. And one I actually uh, sourced, I found through this amazing um, Etsy seller called Gretchen Glenn Vintage that she has dead stock, which is such a rarity anymore for clothes that are 40 years old. So there's just a lot of thought that goes into those fittings and it's, they're just amazing actors to work with. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Um, and then I know we're getting close on time, um, but one of my final questions, I mean, what's your, what's your takeaway from, from this series in particular? Oh, never use a white shirt on television unless you have at least six of them. It sounds so dumb, but when you shoot an international unit and you only sourced yourself four shirts and thought it was going to be fine because your set team is amazing and they're so good at taking care of your clothes and doing their own, doing the laundry, making sure it all resets. When you're then the one that's tending the clothes at the end of the shoot and that shirt has been through it, mm -hmm. through it, like punched holes in it for stunt wires, drowned in a cistern. Like it literally went through it by the end. I almost couldn't put that shirt back together. And so it's sort of a metaphor, I guess, in many ways, but you know, make sure you're prepared and really think through the process and the life of the costume um, because it goes with the life of the character. And sometimes those things that you think you can get away with come back and, and really remind you to, to do the homework, do the due diligence and really think about those costumes as you put them on camera. Because for a show like Russian Doll that does have so much repetition and the clothes play for such a long time, it's a very practical element that is a big part of telling the story. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Um, but Jen, I wanna thank you so much for your time today. Um, this has been such a fun chat. Um, obviously I, I, I love the show and I loved your past work. Um, but so this has just been a joy to, to be able to chat with you about the show. Thank you. It's entirely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No, of course, of course. And I will, I will have to, I will wait on pins and needles to hear about this next project um, <laughs> um, to, see, to see what it is and what it's all about. Amazing, amazing. I don't have an air date yet, but probably next spring. Awesome, awesome. Well, I will look forward to that then. Thank you all for listening. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jackson Vickery. 
Graphics were done by Dylan Michael, and the opening and closing theme were done by Sterling Gavinsky.